Hello and welcome to another edition of Maplewood Barn Radio Theater, brought to you with the kind assistance of KBIA. Tonight is a very special occasion. We bring you the 100th original production since our program began September 30th of 2011. And as with most of our programs, it's an audio adaptation by Brad Buchanan from the work of a beloved author. For such an occasion, it's only appropriate that we return to two of our favorite characters, Bertie and Jeeves, as taken from the short story Jeeves Takes Charge by P.G. Woodhouse. And we've done several adaptations of Jeeves stories over the years, but this is a very special one because it describes how Bertie and Jeeves came to be companions and their first adventure together. As usual, it's best to hear the story directly from Bertie. So, we'll turn it over to him now. Now, touching on this business of old Jeeves, my man, you know, lots of people think I'm much too dependent on him. My Aunt Agatha, in fact, has even gone so far as to call him my keeper. Well, what I say is, why not? The man's a genius. I gave up trying to run my own affairs within a week of his coming to me. That was about half a dozen years ago right after the unpleasant business of Florence Cray, my Uncle Willoughby's book, and Edwin the Boy Scout. I was spending a week with Uncle Willoughby and Easby, as I generally did in the summer, and I had had to break off my visit to get a new valet. The one I had was a fellow named Meadows, and he was stealing my socks. I caught him red-stockinged. No man of spirit can tolerate that. After contacting the agency, they sent me Jeeves. I shall always remember the morning he came. The night before, I had been at a rather rollicking little supper, and I was feeling pretty rocky. On top of this, I was trying to read a book Florence Cray had given me. She was my fiancée, and the book, called Types of Ethical Theory, was full of sentences like this. The postulate or common understanding involved in speech is certainly coextensive in the obligation it carries with the social organism of which language is the instrument and the ends of which is an effort to subserve. I could not make heads nor tails out of it. She was a girl with a wonderful profile, but this was not the sort of thing to spring on a lad with a hangover. Then the bell rang. Hello? I was sent by the agency, sir. I was given to understand that you require a valet. Right now, I feel like I need an undertaker, but yes, please come in and he floated noiselessly through the doorway like a zephyr. Ah, a bit of overindulgence last night, sir. Excuse me a moment. Then he seemed to flicker and wasn't there anymore. Presently, he came back with a glass on a tray. If you would drink this, sir, gentlemen have told me they have found it extremely invigorating after a late evening. I swallowed the stuff. For a moment, I felt as if somebody had touched off a bomb inside my head, and then everything seemed to suddenly be all right. The sun shone in through the window, birds twittered in the treetops, and generally speaking, hope dawned once more. You're hired. Thank you, sir. My name is Jeeves. You can start at once? Immediately, sir. Because I'm due down at Easby the day after tomorrow. Very good, sir. That painting is excellent likeness of Lady Florence Cray, sir. It is two years since I saw her ladyship. I was at one time in Lord Werpelstan's employment. 
I tendered my resignation because I could not agree with his desire to dine in dress trousers, a flannel shirt, and a shooting coat. You can't tell me anything I don't already mm. know about Lord Warpleston's eccentricities. He is my fiancé's father, and if there is a flaw in being engaged to Florence, it is the fact that she sort of takes after him, and you can never be certain when she might erupt. She has a wonderful profile, though. So, you and Lady Florence are engaged to sir. Why, yes, Jeeves. Is there something wrong with that? She's a dear girl, although she can be a bit imperious. Still, seen sideways, she is awfully good-looking. I'll get it, sir. It appears to be a telegram, sir. Well, what does it say? It says, sir... Return immediately. Extremely urgent. Catch first train. Florence. Drat! Sir? Oh, nothing. Jeeves, we shall be going down to Easeby this afternoon. Can you manage it? Certainly, sir. Which suit shall you wear for the journey? This one. I had on a sprightly check suit that morning, which I fancied a great deal. Very good, sir. Don't you like this suit, Jeeves? Oh, yes, sir. Well, what don't you like about it? If I might make the suggestion, sir, a simple brown or blue with a, a hint of some quiet twill. What? Absolute rot. Very good, sir. Perfectly blithering, my dear man. As you say, sir. All right, then. Yes, sir. And then he went away to pack his things while I started in again on types of ethical theory and took a stab at a chapter headed Idiopsychological Ethics. Most of the way down in the train that afternoon, I was wondering what the emergency was. My Uncle Willoughby wouldn't have allowed any emergencies in his house. He was a rather stiff, precise sort of old boy who liked a quiet life. He was just finishing a history of the family which he had been working on and didn't stir much from the library. I'd been told that in his youth, Uncle Willoughby had been a bit of a rounder. You would never have thought it to look at him now. When I got to the house... Oakshot, the butler, told me that Florence was in her room, watching her maid pack. Florence, why are you packing? Where are you going? There is a dance at a house about 20 miles away tonight, and I am motoring over with some of the Easeby lot and will be away some nights. But why are you leaving? Darling! Don't! Don't touch me! Hmm. What's the matter? Everything's the matter! Bertie, you remember asking me when you left to let him read some of his family history to me? Wasn't he pleased? He was delighted. He finished writing that thing yesterday afternoon and read to me nearly all night. I have never had such a shock in my life. The book is an outrage. It is horrible. But the family weren't that bad, were they? It is not a history of the family at all. Your uncle has written his 
reminiscences. He calls them recollections of a long life. I'm starting to understand, I believe. Uncle Willoughby enjoyed sowing wild oats in his younger days. If half of what he has written is true, your uncle's youth was perfectly appalling. The moment we began to read, he plunged straight into a most scandalous story of how he and my father were thrown out of a music hall in 1887. Hmm. Must have been something pretty bad. It took a lot to make them chuck people out of music halls in 1887. Your uncle specifically states that father had drunk a quart and a half of champagne before beginning the evening. The book is full of stories about people we know who are the essence of propriety today, but who seem to have behaved when they were young in a manner that would not have been tolerated in the cargo hold of a whaler. Oh, well, I wouldn't worry. No publisher will print the book if it's as bad as that. On the contrary, your uncle told me that all negotiations are settled with Riggs and Ballinger, and he's sending off the manuscript tomorrow for immediate publication. And Father appears in nearly every story in the book. I am horrified at the things he did when he was a young man. What's to be done? The manuscript must be intercepted before it reaches Riggs and Ballinger and destroyed. How are you going to do it? How can I do it? The parcel goes off tomorrow. I am going to the Murgatroyd's dance tonight and shall not be back until Monday. You must do it. That is why I telegraphed you. What? Do you mean to say you refuse to help me, Bertie? No, but I... What I mean is, of, of course, anything I can do, but if you know what I mean... You say you want to marry me, Bertie? Yes, of course, but still... I will never marry you if those recollections are published. But Florence... I mean it. You may look on it as a test, Bertie. If you have the resource and courage to carry this thing through... I will take it as evidence that you are not the vapid and shiftless person most people think you are. If you fail, I shall know that your Aunt Agatha was right when she called you a spineless invertebrate and advised me strongly not to marry you. It will be simple for you to intercept the manuscript, Bertie. But suppose Uncle Willoughby catches me at it. He'd cut me off without a cent. If you care more for your uncle's money than for me... No, no, that's not true. Very well, then. The parcel containing the manuscript will be placed on the hall table tomorrow for Oakshot to take to the village with the letters. All you have to do is nab it and destroy it. Then your uncle will think it has been lost in the post. Hmm, that sounds thin. Hasn't he got a copy of it? No. He is sending the manuscript just as he wrote it. If you're going to do nothing but make absurd objections, Bertie... Why not get Edwin to do it? Keep it in the family, kind of, don't you know? It seemed like a good idea to me. He was 14 now, and he had just joined the Boy Scouts. He took his responsibilities pretty seriously. Mm -hmm. He was always in a sort of fever because he was behind schedule with his daily acts of kindness. But the idea didn't seem to strike Florence... I shall do nothing of the kind, Bertie. What I mean is, Edwin would do it so much better than I would. These Boy Scouts are up to all sorts of dodges. They spore, don't you know, and take cover and creep about and whatnot. Bertie, will you do this trivial favor for me? If not, say so now and let's end this farce of pretending that you care for me. Dear soul, I love you devotedly. Then will you or will you not? Oh, all right. All right. All right. All right.
As I was leaving the room, I met Jeeves in the passage, just outside. I beg your pardon, sir. I was endeavoring to find you. What's the matter? I felt that I should tell you, sir, that somebody has been putting black polish on your brown walking shoes. What? Who? Why? I could not say, sir. Can anything be done with them? Nothing, sir. Ruined. Damn. Very good, sir. Just the thought of the job at hand had me so rattled I was a wreck the next day. I had to call on Jeeves to rally round with one of those lifesavers of his. From breakfast on, I felt like a bag snatcher at a railway station. I had to hang about waiting for the parcel to be put on the hall table, and it wasn't put there till nearly four. Uncle Willoughby toddled out of the library with the parcel under his arm, put it on the table, and toddled off again. I bounded out and legged it for the table. Then I nipped upstairs to hide the swag. I charged in like a Mustang and nearly stubbed my toe on young Edwin, the Boy Scout, a ferret-faced boy I had despised since birth. He was standing at the chest of drawers, confound him, messing with my ties. Hello. What are you doing here? I'm tidying your room. It's my last Saturday's act of kindness. Last Saturday's? I'm five days behind. I was six till last night, but I polished your shoes. Was it you? Yes. Did you see them? I just happened to think of it. Mr. Berkeley had this room before you, and I thought he might have left something behind. Then I saw your shoes. I've often done acts of kindness that way. You must be a comfort to one and all. I had hidden the parcel behind my back, and I didn't think he'd seen it. Don't bother tidying the room. I like tidying it. It's not a bit of trouble, really. There's something else you could do that would be much more helpful. You see that box of cigars? Take it down to the smoking room and snip off the ends for me. That would save me no end of trouble. Run along, lad. That finally got rid of him. I shoved the parcel into a drawer, locked it, trousered the key, and felt better. I went downstairs again, and just as I was passing the smoking room door, Edwin blurted out, I'm snipping them, see? Snip on, snip on. All right, I'll be snipping on then. You should. It was about an hour after I had shoved the parcel into the drawer when I realized that it might not be the best hiding place. Florence had talked about destroying the manuscript, but how can someone destroy a great chunky mass of paper in somebody else's house in the middle of summer? The best thing seemed to be to leave the parcel in the drawer and hope for the best. I was wondering when Uncle Willoughby would catch on, and that Friday night he came out of his library as I was passing by. He looked considerably rattled. 
Birdie, an exceedingly disturbing thing has happened. As you know, I dispatched the manuscript of my book to Messrs. Riggs and Bollinger yesterday afternoon. It should have reached them this morning. I just telephoned Messrs. Riggs and Bollinger to make inquiries, and they informed me that they had not yet received it. Very distressing. I recollect distinctly placing it myself on the hall table in time to be taken to the village, but here is a sinister thing. I have spoken to Oakshot, who took the rest of the letters to the post office, and he cannot recall seeing it. Sounds funny. Bertie, shall I tell you what I suspect? What's that? The suspicion will no doubt sound incredible, but I believe the parcel has been stolen. Oh, surely not. Wait, hear me out. Though I have said nothing to you before, the fact remains that during the past few weeks a number of objects, some valuable, others not, have disappeared in this house. My conclusion is that we have a kleptomaniac in our midst. A kleptomaniac? Surely not, Uncle. After which we brooded for a bit. Uncle Willoughby pottered about the room while my guilty secret oppressed me to such an extent that I couldn't stand it. I started for a stroll around the grounds to cool off. It was one of those still evenings you get in the summer. The sun was sinking over the hills, and I was just beginning to settle down when I suddenly heard my name spoken. It's about Bertie. It was the loathsome voice of, of young Edwin coming from a library window. I dove for a bush just beneath it with my ears flapping. About Bertie? About Bertie and your parcel. I heard you talking to him just now. I believe he's got it. What do you mean, boy? I was discussing the disappearance of my manuscript of Bertie only a moment back, and he professed himself as perplexed by the mystery as myself. Well, I was in his room yesterday afternoon, doing him an act of kindness, and he came in with the parcel. I could see it, though he tried to keep it behind his back. And when he passed the smoking room about two minutes later, he wasn't carrying anything, so it must be in his room. I cannot believe that Bertie would go around pinching things. Well, I'm sure he's got the parcel. I'll tell you what you might do. You might say that Mr. Berkeley wired that he had left something here. He had Bertie's room, you know. You might say you wanted to look for it. That would be possible. I... I didn't wait to hear any more. Things were getting too hot. I sneaked softly out of my bush and raced for the front door. I sprinted up to my room and made for the drawer where I had put the parcel. But I couldn't find the key. Ah, I had left them in my evening trousers the night before. Now, where were my evening trousers? Jeeves. Jeeves had taken them, and before I could go talk to him, there was a footstep outside, and in came Uncle Willoughby. Oh, Bertie, I have, uh, received a telegram from Berkeley, who occupied this room before you, asking me to forward him his, um, his cigarette case, which he inadvertently omitted to take when he left the house. I cannot find it downstairs, and it occurred to me that he may have left it in this room. I will just take a look around. It was one of the most disgusting spectacles I've ever seen. This white-haired old man, who should have been thinking of the hereafter, standing there lying like an actor. I decided to lie as well. I haven't seen it anywhere. Nevertheless, I must search. Uh, spare no effort. It is possibly in one of these drawers. Hmm, this one appears to be locked. Yes, I wouldn't bother with that one. It's, it's, um, locked. You do not have the key? I fancy, sir, that this might be the key you require. It was in the pocket of your evening trousers. 
It was Jeeves. He had shimmered in, carrying my evening things, and was standing there holding out the key. I could have massacred the man. Thank you. Not at all, sir. Uh... No, there's nothing here. The drawer is empty. Thank you, Bertie. I hope I have not disturbed you. I fancy uh, Berkeley must have taken his case with him after all. Uh, Jeeves? Sir? Did you... was there... have you by any chance... I removed the parcel this morning, sir. Oh, uh, why? I considered it more prudent, sir. I suppose all this seems very deceptive to you, Jeeves. Not at all, sir. I chanced to overhear you and Lady Florence speaking of the matter the other evening, sir. Did you, by Jove? Yes, sir. Well, uh, Jeeves, I think that if you were to, um, as it were, uh, hang on to that parcel until we get back to the city... Exactly, sir. And then we might, um, so to speak, chuck it away somewhere? Precisely, sir. I'll leave it in your hands. Entirely, sir. You know, Jeeves, you're an extraordinary fellow. I endeavor to give satisfaction, sir. Well, that's about all then, I think. Very good, sir. Florence came back on Monday. I didn't see her till we were all having tea in the hall. It wasn't till the crowd had cleared away a bit that we got a chance to talk. Well, Bertie? It's all right. You have destroyed the manuscript? Well, not exactly, but... What do you mean? I mean, I haven't absolutely destroyed the manuscript. Bertie, your manner is furtive. It's all right. It's this way. Ah, there you are, Bertie. A most remarkable thing has happened. What is it, Uncle? I have just been speaking with Mr. Riggs on the telephone, and he tells me he received my manuscript by the first post this morning. I cannot imagine what can have caused the delay. Well, I'll be in the library if you need me, my boy. I... I can't understand it. I can. I can understand it perfectly, Bertie. Rather than risk offending your uncle, you... No, 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 absolutely not. Oh, you prefer to lose me rather than risk losing the money. Perhaps you did not think I meant what I said. I meant every word. Our engagement is ended. But Florence... Not another word. I see now that your Aunt Agatha was right. I have made a lucky escape. There was a time when I thought that, with patience, you might be molded into something worthwhile. I see now that you are impossible. And she popped off, leaving me to pick up the pieces. When I had collected the debris to some extent, I went to my room and rang for Jeeves. He came in looking as if nothing had happened. Jeeves? Jeeves, that parcel has arrived in London. Yes, sir. Did you send it? Yes, sir. I acted for the best, sir. I I think that both you and Lady Florence overestimated the danger of people being offended at being mentioned in Sir Willoughby's recollections. It's been my experience, sir, that the normal person enjoys seeing his or her name in print irrespective of what is said about them. Everyone desires publicity. Moreover, if you have ever studied psychology, sir, you will know that respectable old gentlemen are by no means averse to having it advertised that they were 
extremely wild in their youth. I have an uncle. Confound your uncle. Do you know that Lady Florence has broken off her engagement with me? Indeed, sir. You're fired. Very good, sir. As I am no longer in your employment, sir, I can speak freely without appearing to take a liberty. In my opinion, you and Lady Florence were quite unsuitably matched. Her ladyship is a highly determined and arbitrary disposition, quite opposed to your own. Her ladyship's temper caused a good deal of adverse comment. You would not have been happy, sir. Get out! I think you would also have found her educational methods a little trying, sir. I have glanced at the book her ladyship gave you. It has been lying on your table since your arrival, and it is, in my opinion, quite unsuitable. You would not have enjoyed it. And I have it from your ladyship's own maid that it was her intention to start you almost immediately upon Nietzsche. You would not enjoy Nietzsche, sir. He is fundamentally unsound. Get out! Very good, sir. It's strange how sleeping on a thing often makes you feel quite different about it, and it happened to me again that night. When I awoke, with the sun coming through the window and the birds playing in the ivy, I began to wonder if Jeeves wasn't right. After all, though she had a wonderful profile, was Florence Cray such a great catch? Wasn't there something overbearing about her character? I began to realize that my ideal wife was something quite different, something a lot more clinging and drooping and prattling. Then Jeeves appeared out of thin air with my morning tea as if nothing had happened the night before. Thank you, Jeeves. You know, I've been thinking it over, and I would like you to stay on. Thank you, sir. Oh, Jeeves, about that check suit. Yes, sir? Is it really horrid? A trifle too bizarre, sir, in my opinion. But lots of other fellows have asked me who my tailor is. Doubtless in order to avoid him, sir. All right, Jeeves. Give the ghastly thing away to somebody. Thank you, sir. I gave it to the undergardener last night. A little more tea, sir. And so ends the story of Bertie and Jeeves' first adventure, a tale of stolen manuscripts, lost love, and good fashion sense. If it had not been for the sock snatcher, Meadows, they may never have met. 
We hope that you've enjoyed this audio presentation of Jeeves Takes Charge by P.G. Woodhouse, presented by the Maplewood Barn Radio Players. Our performers in this production were Brad Buchanan as Birdie, Byron Scott as Jeeves, Lawrence was portrayed by Val Davis, Joe Bogue was Uncle Willoughby, and Terry Yates played Edwin. The show was engineered by Darren Hellwedge, adapted for radio by Brad Buchanan, with post-production by Amy Humphreys and Joe Hayes. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll tune in again next week at the same time for another classic story, program number 101, brought to you by the Maplewood Barn Radio Players, right here on KBIA.